millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the History of Russia. As usual, I'm Damon, and this is episode 73, Treading Water. Thanks for listening in. Oh, and wherever you are, and whatever calendar you follow, a belated Happy New Year to you all. And whilst I'm talking about belated, yeah, I know, an episode hasn't been out for a while. Uh, I've not been well, but I'm back and fighting fit, so here goes. Okay, so in the last episode, we followed Elizabeth and Bestuzhev as they attempted to control and isolate Peter and Catherine to get the young couple to knuckle down and do their royal duty. We then looked at the post-war European political scene and the efforts made by Bestuzhev, amongst others, to keep Frederick the Great of Prussia in check. And then finally, we also waved goodbye to Otto Brümer, He went back to Germany with a nice big fat pension, and Armand Lestock, who was exiled first to Siberia, and then to northern Russia, but without a nice big fat pension. This week, for most of the episode, I'm afraid that it's going to be more of the same, hence the title. However, to avoid just doing a rinse and repeat, I'm going to speed things up a bit, and the aim will be to get from where we are now, which is 1748, right through to the year 1753, where we will start to see that both at home and abroad, things were beginning to take on a different shape. Before we get going though, I need to tell you again that this podcast is supported by the kind and generous members of the Boyar Duma, and a warm welcome to Rin and Barbara, who have recently signed up. If you want to join them to get early access to ad-free episodes, members-only episodes and written transcripts for probably less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, then you can by subscribing to The Boyar Duma via Patreon, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
and I've included the links for all three in the notes that accompany the episode. Okay, if you're all set, let's do almost six years of the history of Russia. And we'll kick things off by picturing in our minds Bestuzhev casting his eye over a map of Europe and pondering his next move. Remember that over the past couple of years, he'd negotiated alliances with Austria and Denmark to keep Frederick the Great bottled up, and with the Ottoman Empire just to avoid any chance of unnecessary trouble coming from Russia's south. However, Bestuzhev had got a couple of problems that, unfortunately, he seemed to be completely unaware of. First of all, there was his own hubris or overconfidence. Now, I don't suppose that we can really blame him for his current state of mind. Since the Lopuchina affair back in 1742, everything he'd attempted to do had come off in spades. He'd been promoted to the Grand Chancellorship of Russia and was a very rich and powerful man. And, even though he was not a personal favourite of the Empress, Elizabeth trusted him and left all foreign policy matters in his up-to-now very capable hands. Plus, of course, he's one of the main reasons why Peter and Catherine are, to a degree, isolated and controlled, and so he started to influence domestic policy as well. He was completely at the top of his game. However, what he had failed to consider is that as clever as he was, he was to a certain degree blinkered. In fact, he'd got a chip on each of his shoulders. One was called Prussia, and the other was called France. And unfortunately for him, he couldn't imagine or contemplate any kind of strategy that was in any way either pro-Prussian or pro-French. And in fact, it's worse than that, because he couldn't even consider anyone else being either pro-French or pro-Prussian. Well, apart from the French or Prussians, that is. And then secondly, because Russia had never been a major player in the recent European war, Bestuzhev, Elizabeth and Russia were not generally viewed by the other key powers as being major players in the post-war diplomatic landscape, particularly by the British, which was a shame because Bestuzhev was, for some reason, very pro-British. And so, as he stood pondering his next move in front of that European map, he hadn't realised that the big guns in Europe, the French and the British, weren't really interested in his game because they are just about to be making their own moves without even considering Russia. All of which brings us nicely to October 1748 and the final version of the Treaty of Aachen or Aix-la-Chapelle, same place, two different names, but we will be using Aachen because, well, that's what it's called today. Without going into all of the specifics, the Treaty of Aachen effectively did three main things. One, it signified the formal peace agreement between the three remaining protagonists, France, Great Britain and the Dutch. Two, it left the other minor remaining protagonists, Austria, Spain, Sardinia, Modena and Genoa, without effective backing to continue the war, and eventually, by 1749, they had all seen the writing on the wall and had also signed up to the treaty. And then three, it failed to resolve the issues that had caused the war in the first place, and therefore set in play what would be come to be called the Diplomatic Revolution, 
which was the process that would eventually reshape the alliances between the European nation-states and which would catch Bestuzhev completely off guard. Now, luckily for us, well for this episode anyway, and Bestuzhev, none of this will really come to the fore until 1756, and the global conflict known as the Seven Years' War. However, it would lead to a decline in the Russian Grand Chancellor's fortunes, and in the end, his banishment from court. But we'll get to all of that in due course, because for the here and now, we've got almost six years' worth of court-based chicanery and squabbling to entertain us. And we'll start with looking at things from Catherine's point of view, mainly because from what I can make out, Peter Fyodorovich is continuing to spend his days living on a different planet. We know that Catherine was unhappy with her lot, but that she'd had to put up with things because she knew that her own future was inexorably tied up with Peter and with what Elizabeth wanted and expected, i.e. get pregnant and produce an heir. But God, it was difficult. When the heir to the throne wasn't playing with his toys or pointlessly drilling soldiers, he was busy with his two latest hobbies or pursuits, his dogs and his violin. According to Catherine's journal, she spent day after day listening to the sounds of Peter attempting to either train a pack of hunting dogs, which, by the way, he kept in their rooms, or to become a violin virtuoso. The problem was that the man-boy heir to the Russian throne turned out to be predictably useless at both. He had no idea how to train the dogs, and when they wouldn't or couldn't obey his commands, he would lose his temper and beat them. And then, when they were cowering in the corner, the whole nasty, meaningless performance would start all over again. When he eventually grew tired of the whole canine charade, he would pick up his violin and spend hours noisily scraping away whilst Catherine lay in the next door room trying her hardest to block out the cacophony. And if Catherine or anyone else complained or disagreed with what Peter told told them, or told him that he couldn't do something, then he would throw a tantrum, and in the evenings any tantrum would be ten times worse, because whilst most of his behaviour was still that of a sullen teenager, Peter had discovered the joys and the pitfalls of drinking large amounts of alcohol. However, towards the end of the year, there was a chink of light for the royal couple, because those paradigms of virtue, the Choglikovs, had blotted their copybooks. Well, at least Nikolai Choglikov had. Because unbeknownst to anyone, even Madame Choglikova, Peter's governor had been carrying on for months with one of Catherine's maids of honour, a certain Maria Kosheleva. And to cut a very long story short, she, Maria that is, then became pregnant, declared that Choglikov was the father, leaving everybody, especially Catherine and Peter, stunned and waiting to see just how bad the outcome would be for the Choglikovs. Once Elizabeth found out, she told Madame Choglikova that if she wanted to divorce her husband, then she, the Empress, would give her backing and have Nikolai Choglikov dismissed from court. Choglikova initially agreed, but then, when she had thought about things further, she begged Elizabeth to allow him to stay, and the Empress surprisingly said okay and so everything seemingly 
was brushed under the carpet and forgotten. But whilst on the surface that appeared to be the case, as the weeks and then the months went on, everyone could see or sense that the Choglikovs were no longer all-powerful. The Kosheleva affair had humiliated Madame Choglikova and had weakened her husband's position, and for Peter and Catherine in particular, boundaries that had once been rigid, cast-iron and non-negotiable gradually became less defined and more malleable. And yet as 1748 slipped into 1749, the arguments and the tense atmosphere between Madame Choglakova and Catherine continued, and this combined with Peter's erratic behaviour and worsening alcohol problem started to have a serious impact upon Catherine's health, because it's around this time her journal makes references to an endless litany of toothaches, headaches and fevers, some of which kept her in bed for days on end, and probably the main underlying reason for these ailments was sheer mental exhaustion. Then, to top it off, came a further round of stress and tension, because in the spring, the Empress Elizabeth became seriously ill with some kind of stomach problem, which completely laid her low. Once they found out, both Catherine and Peter became aware that Bestuzhev and Choglikov were constantly having meetings and whispered conversations that would suddenly stop if either one of the royal couple happened to pass by. What were they discussing? Was Bestuzhev planning some kind of takeover? And if so, what were his plans for them? Luckily, nothing came from this latest round of intrigue as Elizabeth made what appeared to be a full recovery. But, as with Peter's smallpox episode, Catherine was reminded that her tenure and position in Russia were completely tied to Peter and Elizabeth and the exacting vicissitudes of the Russian court. During the late spring and summer of 1749, Catherine managed to find two outlets from the everyday pressure and volatility, horse riding and some light flirting. Now, of course, both activities were frowned upon by Madame Choglakova and Elizabeth. However, Catherine stood her ground without making too much of a scene, and of course by now she knew enough about life at court to be discreet and stay out of trouble. Plus, Choglakova was less prone to push things and Elizabeth was otherwise occupied, but we'll get to that last point in a minute. The light flirtatiousness was directed at Catherine by Kirill Razumovsky, the brother of Elizabeth's lover Alexei, and therefore someone that was seen as being safe and within bounds. Nevertheless, there were risks associated with this kind of behaviour, plus it takes two to tango, and again Catherine's journal relates how enjoyable she found the attention. Now all of this seems to have been just harmless fun, and there is certainly no record of any impropriety, but as we shall see, it did represent perhaps the first gradual steps that Catherine would take towards relationships of an altogether more serious and dangerous kind. However, over the next couple of years, she wouldn't be the only one taking those steps into choppier waters. But before we get into all of that, it's time for a short break. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, we're back. In 1750, Elizabeth was 41 years old. Her looks, by all accounts, had started to fade. She'd started to put on a bit of weight. And she'd started to, quite naturally, resemble a middle-aged woman. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. It happens to us all. But we adapt, don't we, dear listeners? We adapt. However, Elizabeth seems to have thought that now was the right time to invigorate her private life, and she embarked on a number of affairs. She still had time for her Emperor of the Night, Alexei Razumovsky, but increasingly she was found in the company of younger men. There was a chorister named Katanevsky and a young cadet called Baketov but the person that she seemed to favour above them all was the youngest of the Shuvalov trio, the 23-year-old Ivan. Later in the year, Ivan accompanied Elizabeth on one of her many pilgrimages, and soon after he was appointed as one of the Empress's gentlemen-in-waiting. And from this point on, it was clear to everyone at court that young Ivan Shuvalov's star was rising, whilst poor old Razumovsky was increasingly being seen as yesterday's man. And, believe it or not, young Peter Fyodorovich was also receiving attention of the romantic kind. Well, it wasn't really that romantic, but it was attention, and it was from a female. And her name was Yekaterina Ivanovna, although that was not the name she had been born with. Yekaterina, who had been born back in 1727, had started life as Hedvig, and her father was none other than our old friend Ernst Biron, who, since 1741, had been living a life of comfortable isolation on his estate in Yaroslavl, 160 miles to the northeast of Moscow. Unfortunately, though, as an adult, Hedvig had a couple of, well, let's call them disadvantages. She was both short, less than five feet tall, and noticeably hunchbacked. However, on the other hand, she was said to be pretty, and she had received a good all-round education. Now, the next series of, of events are all a bit vague, but at some point in 1749, during one of her many pilgrimages, Elizabeth met Hedvig, and we don't know exactly where, and became so impressed with the young woman's character and intellect that she invited stroke ordered her to join her court and convert to orthodoxy, whereupon Hedvig became Yekaterina, and at some point during the next year, 1750, 
she became the best of buddies with young Peter. Well, hang on a minute though, Damon. A few minutes ago you mentioned attention of a romantic kind, but now you were saying best of buddies. Which was it? Well, to be fair, I did caveat the former statement, and the fact was that their relationship was sort of somewhere in between. There was a lot of flirting and childish games, but from what we know, there was certainly no intimacy. And it seems that this odd couple spent most of their time talking to each other in German about life in general and the Duchy of Holstein in particular. And that was because Peter, as Duke of Holstein, was being put under pressure by Bestuzhev, who wanted to exchange the duchy for the strategically placed Danish province of Oldenburg. But in the end, it wasn't chatting with Yekaterina that helped Peter to resist Bestuzhev's plan, it was the advice and guidance of Catherine, given over the course of several months, which ensured in the end that Bestuzhev begrudgingly agreed to Holstein remaining in Peter's hands. 1751 saw a figure from Catherine's past return to St. Petersburg, as well as the introduction of a couple of new characters to the Russian court. The returnee was Zakhar Chernyshev, now a colonel, who picked up where he'd left off five years earlier by sending Catherine several messages asking to meet in private, all of which Catherine politely refused. However, her response to the advances of one of the newcomers would be entirely different. Pyotr Soltikov was an ugly, boorish lout who spent most of his first couple of months at court intriguing and gossiping with the Choglikovs. However, his brother, the 25-year-old Sergei, was an entirely different character. He was handsome, sophisticated and urbane, and he knew it, and when it came to seduction, he was utterly, utterly ruthless. He viewed each conquest as being simply a matter of time, and he used every trick in the book. Charm, coldness, passion, subterfuge, subtlety, and most of all, persistence. And even though he was married, interestingly enough, to a descendant of the Mons family, within weeks he had decided that he would be the man to get Catherine into bed. Throughout the final months of 1751, he too made sure that he was on the best of terms with the Choglikovs, and before long he had gained their complete trust and had unfettered access to the young royal's apartments. And then in early 1752, the game started in earnest. Sergei had observed how Peter almost completely ignored Catherine and assumed, probably rightly, that she would entertain his initial advances. And he was right. She did. Or, to put it another way, she didn't dissuade him. Catherine, now 23, was flattered, but also had enough about her to make sure that Soltikov was A, discreet, and B, had to work hard to achieve his aim. But by late summer, her resistance crumbled, and the affair was consummated. At the same time, the strong gossip around court was that Peter, now 24, had also taken a step in the right direction with a young German woman who had recently been widowed, a certain Madame Groot or Gruter, and it was also rumoured that prior to this event, the Crown Prince had been circumcised and that that procedure had alleviated certain complications. But if the aim of Elizabeth Bestuzhev and the Joglikovs had been to keep the young couple isolated and away from all the outside influences, which we know it had, 
How had any of this happened? Well, it would appear that at some point in 1751, it had finally been recognised that due to a complete lack of experience, both Peter and Catherine needed a helping hand, so to speak. And so rather than being forbidden to spend time in the company of others, they would be discreetly persuaded to mingle and gain the necessary tools of the trade. All of which was good in theory, but there were risks, and in late 1752, one of those risks materialised. Catherine was pregnant. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on who you were, and or what you knew, Catherine miscarried. Before the end of the year, and in spring 1753, there was another pregnancy, followed by another miscarriage in the May. So who had made Catherine pregnant? Well, apart from Catherine, Peter and Sergei Soltikov, no one really knows or knew, and perhaps they didn't either. Was Peter aware of Catherine's affair? Yes, he was, and apparently he found the whole thing a bit of a hoot. Were Catherine and Peter now sleeping together in every sense? Possibly, maybe probably. So it was all a bit of a mess. But of course, the official line was that Peter had been the responsible party. However, certainly for the first pregnancy, and probably for the second, the smart money was on Soltikov, something that would be partially borne out by statements that Catherine would make in the future, and a rather strange alliance that was about to be formed. But all of that will have to wait for another time, because for today, we're done. Join me next time when we will be taking a breather from the games at court, and instead we'll be focusing on some of the other things that were going on in Russia in the late 1740s and the early 1750s, such as palace building, Siberian expansion, educational reform, and serfdom. So, until then, dear listeners, and of course patrons, look after yourselves, and of course, in these troubled times, stay safe. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.